Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am seriously excited about today's episode because this is something that not only am I really passionate about, I feel like it is one of the most effective things we can do to change our lives, and it's one of the easiest. That combination is super appealing to me. It works, and it's easy to do. And before I tell you what it is, if you don't already know from the title of the episode, which, spoiler, now you do, uh, let me give you a little bit of what makes this so powerful. I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza. If you're not familiar with him, he's written a couple books that I've talked about before, like Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, um, You Are the Placebo, uh, Becoming Supernatural. Anyway, one of the things that he talks about a lot is how, as humans, we think anywhere from 60,000 to 70,000 thoughts per day. And if you think about that number, that is a lot. I mean, 10 thoughts can take up some impact, some significance. But it's not 10, it's not 20, it's not 100, it's not 1,000. It's not 2,000 or 5,000 or 10,000. 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Everything from like, I think about when I woke up this morning, the thought of, oh, I'm tired. I wish I could sleep a little bit more. What do I need to do this morning? I need to get up and go to the bathroom. Is Chris up? Has the dog been fed? Right? All of those that we don't even notice are happening, they happen constantly as we walk to the bathroom. It's kind of cold in here, right? Those are all unique thoughts. What am I going to wear? Should I wash my hair today or not? All of those thoughts. 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, okay? Now, here's where it gets wild. More than 90%, for some of us it might be 95, for some of us it might be 99 percent of those thoughts are the same day after day. And I can tell you just in the examples that I gave, I'm in a in a phase of pregnancy where I'm not sleeping very well. So pretty much every morning it's the same thoughts of like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. I wish I could go back to sleep. I really can't because I need to do blah, 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 blah. Has the dog been fed? Is Chris up? Right? All of those those thoughts that I just mentioned, I need to go to the bathroom. It's cold in here. Those are repeat day after day after day. There's very few thoughts, anywhere from maybe 5 to 10%, 10% being a lot, and very few people have that many thoughts each day that are unique, that we haven't had before. And that is why our days look the same. And if we want to change, if we want to start being consistent with our workouts instead of continuing to skip them, or we want to really make a move in the way that we eat, the way that we fuel our body, the way we make decisions about food, whether it's quality or quantity or both of those things, 
if we want that to change, we have to think differently. If every day you're having the same thoughts of like, I really want something sweet. I'm not in the mood for chicken and broccoli. Mozzarella sticks sound good. If those are repetitive thoughts every day, then your choices, your behaviors are going to remain the same. Your patterns are going to remain the same. And so your life is going to remain the same. When I challenge people to start thinking about things differently, there's often the struggle with how because most of these thoughts are automatic. We don't wake up going, how should I think about this morning, right? It is happening in the background. You're not really giving any conscious thought to, I'm tired. I wish I could sleep for another hour. I need to do this. I need to do that. I want my first cup of coffee. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to take the dog out. We're not conscious of those thoughts. They're operating in the background, which is why a lot of people struggle to think differently. Every day I think about that stat from Dr. Joe Dispenza that we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and 90, 95, 99% of them are the same day after day. I think about that because I'm looking for opportunities to think differently. I'm trying to catch myself in moments where I can become aware of something and think about it differently. Whether it's the dishes in the sink or something that Chris said or the traffic that I'm sitting in or something that I'm going to do for work, I'm looking for opportunities to think about things differently. When we start to have the conversation of how, how do we break in to what seems to be automatic and start thinking about things differently, the tool that I love for that is questions. Questions break that automatic process, even if it's, I'd really love something sweet right? That's a repetitive thought that maybe for you it happens every day or it happens a hundred times a day or a thousand times a day. If we say, well, what else do I want? Now we're starting to think differently. Well, I also want to feel proud when I go to bed tonight. I also want to feel good in my body when I wake up tomorrow. I also want to be really healthy. I want to lose weight. I want to do these things. Now, you might have the I want to lose weight thought a million times a day, but it becomes different when it's in a different context. When now it's what you turn to instead of, I want something sweet. I'm not in the mood for chicken and broccoli, whatever it is. So I wanted to share with you 10-ish of my favorite questions. And I say ish because oftentimes for a question that I love, for a question that I find really effective, there are a couple iterations of it. I can ask it in multiple ways because sometimes when I ask it one way, I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) And then I ask it another way and it seems a little bit more clear. Now these questions can be applied to anything. They can be applied to how you take care of yourself. They can be applied to money. They can be applied to business, to relationships, to fitness, anything, you name it. So I want to share these questions with you that I think are a really powerful starting point, questions that have been super effective for me. And I want you to think about asking them not just in one area of your life, but in many areas of your life. The warning here is, Ready for this? This is important. If you miss this part, it's not going to be effective for you. The warning is do not stop at I don't know. It's okay if that's where you start. You ask the question, I don't know, no clue. Wouldn't, couldn't even guess. That's not where we stop. That's where we start. 
it is entirely normal and okay to begin with, I have no idea. What matters is that you don't stop there. Well, what are two bad ideas? Could I ask a friend who might have a suggestion? What what might it be? What are some ideas that I have? Even if it's not the right answer, which I don't think there is a right answer when we're going through this exercise of just asking questions for the sake of teaching ourselves to think differently and breaking the pattern of thinking the same way about everything every single day. I want to get into the questions, but I'm kind of debating giving a little bit more of the of the kind of science behind this. Yeah, you know I will. What the heck? When we think a thought, our body responds by producing chemicals to match that thought so that we feel in a way that aligns with the thought. And if that's like too much in your brain, let me break it down like this. You're sitting on the couch, right? And you're just minding your own business. It's nighttime. You've got a show on. And all of a sudden, you hear something, like something at the door or something falls. And your first thought is, oh, my God, what was that? You know, we've all had that moment of like, what was that noise? In fact, I woke up the other night having heard a noise and that was exactly my thought like, oh my gosh, what's happening? When you think that thought, your body responds to it. Your body is very much in tune with what you think. So in response to the, oh my God, what was that? Your body immediately, in fractions of seconds, produces chemicals so that you feel in a way that aligns with the thought. That's why within fractions of seconds from, oh my God, what was that? Your respiratory rate increases, your heart rate increases, right? Maybe you feel a drop in your stomach within seconds because your body responds to the thoughts that you think. Now, you feel panicked physically with that increased heart rate, increased respiratory rate, and you think more fearful thoughts because it's a cycle, right? So then it went from, oh my God, what was that? To now you've got this panic. What if somebody's here? What am I going to do? Should I get up? Should I look? Oh my gosh, where are they? Should I move? What do I have near me that I can use as a weapon? And in response to those thoughts, your body does the same thing. It produces more of those chemicals. And in this example, it's probably adrenaline, right? Things like that. When we do this over time, your body can get, I don't want to use the word addicted, but that's, but that's a very real possibility, used to feeling a certain way. Maybe you are this person, but let's just say you just know this person, this person who's like irritated all the time. Everything ruffles their feathers. We all either are this person or we know this person or maybe both. Everything frustrates them. They get super frustrated very quickly when they're in traffic. They get super frustrated when somebody puts mail in the mailbox the wrong way. They jam something in there that clearly said do not bend and now they're frustrated. They get frustrated when they get in their car and they realize, oh, I have to stop and get gas right? All of these things frustrate them. Many times it's because they subconsciously, not consciously, subconsciously crave that feeling that comes from those thoughts. Same thing with people who take everything personally. They're always offended. There is a chemical state that matches those thoughts that we can become really familiar with. There's somebody that I know that I've worked with uh, that's been a client for a really long time, and she 
have you ever met somebody who is like in victim mode? Everything that happens is is bad. Bad for her, bad for her family, bad for this, bad for that. It's not because she's crazy. It's not because she's bad, but she has become unconsciously, right? I don't think this is something she chose consciously. She's just used to feeling that way. And so she has these repetitive patterns of thoughts that have become automatic to create this feeling that is what she knows as normal. Not a pleasant normal, but it's her normal. And to break this, to break the pattern of thought, to make sure that we're growing and changing and not remaining the same day to day in our habits, our choices, our feelings, all of that, and that we're not becoming addicted to stress, addicted to overwhelm, addicted to, you know, those people are like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy every day. Oh my gosh, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have that. Subconsciously, they are addicted to they are operating as the status quo in that, in that chemical feeling that comes from overwhelm, frustration, panic, whatever it is. So I think that's important context to why we want to use these questions. And again, these questions can be used in any area of your life, and they are in no particular order. I was just thinking through the ones that I use most often. The more you use them, the more you break those patterns of automatic thought, the more you change the way that you feel, the faster you grow, and the easier change becomes. So the first one is, what would it take for this to feel easy? What would it take for this to feel easy? And I said, I often ask it in different ways. Uh, Sometimes it resonates more in one way than another. What would it look like if this were easy? What would have to happen or what would have to be in place for this to feel easy, right? I'll, I'll use this one if I feel overwhelmed with stuff around the house, Many of you guys know that uh, when our daughter Dagny was born, the plan was for Chris to stay home. After Dagny died, we realized shortly, like, there's really no reason for Chris to be here. Yes, there's plenty to do around here, but uh, we both agreed that he would be happier if he was working outside of the house and feel more, if he felt more structured. So he shifted to working outside of the house. Great, but a big transition because meanwhile, I'm working full-time from home. Now the dog is my responsibility all day, which, you know, not a huge responsibility, but still something that I've got to be aware of throughout the day. The renovation was happening here, so now I'm the only one who's answering those questions and dealing with those concerns. And when the ceiling starts leaking, I'm the only one here for it. He doesn't have the same flexibility to run errands or make phone calls. So since I have more flexibility, those things fall on me. And it got to a point where I was like... Maybe we made a mistake, and and this wasn't something we talked about yet, but in my head, I'm like, maybe we made a mistake because I feel like stuff got moved off of his plate, and it all got put on mine, and I'm trying to to work full-time. I'm trying to deal with grief. I'm pregnant, all of these things. This is where I use this question. What would have to happen for this to feel easy? Chris working outside of the home, me working inside of the home, what would have to shift? Like if I woke up tomorrow and this was easier, what would it look like? My first thought, honestly, as it normally will be, was like, I don't know. I mean, and often if it's not, I don't know, it'll be some kind of pipe dream thing. Like I had a house manager who just took care of all this crap. Well, I'm not going to 
have a house manager, right? I'm not going to have somebody who's here 40 hours a week dealing with all of this stuff because that's just not a hire I want to make. I mean, it's it's possible we could go down that road, but sometimes that will happen. Like if you ask yourself in terms of eating well, what would it look like if this was easy? Well, maybe I'd have a chef that would cook everything for me. And for some people, that might be a really viable solution. For others, even if it's what they think of, it might feel like a total pipe dream. That's okay. Don't stop there. That is where you start. I've shared before how I used this question when I was trying to make some changes within Primal Potential because after Dagny died, it was just keep on keeping on. Like, you know, podcasts, daily mindset upgrades, uh, 12 weeks to transformation launches, this, that, and the other thing. And after a few months of just being kind of in survival mode, I started to really desire more space, um, more time, more flexibility with grief, more flexibility to care for myself, to process everything that was happening. And when I asked that question, what would it look like if this was easy? All of the first thoughts that came to my mind, in addition to I don't know, felt really not helpful. You know, like, well, if all of a sudden Chasing Cupcakes book sales quadrupled, well... (laughs) That felt like, yeah, okay, really nice, but but uh, but then I'll go to that and say, well, what would it look like if that was easy? Well, maybe there would have to be like an ad campaign, you know? If we were getting in front of five times more eyeballs or 10 times more eyeballs, hmm, that's an idea. That's something to think about. You know, what if we could spend, and, and we haven't, but, but I definitely went down this pathway. What if we could spend $10,000 a month in advertising that generated us $30,000 a month in sales just by getting in front of more eyes with stories and with testimonials and with reviews of the book and whatever? Like that's that's a very valid possibility, okay? So keep asking these questions. Keep asking these questions. And basically, going back to the home example of feeling like everything falls on my plate, I said, well, what if I give myself one day of the week that's like the administrative house, schedule appointments, make follow-up calls, get documents, you know, update spreadsheets for financials. What if I gave myself one day of the week, not a Saturday or a Sunday, it was for that. And then that felt immediately impossible. Like, well, my workload's not going anywhere. Well, what could I shift so that there was one day that was free? What would it look like if that was easy? And we started making those changes. So this is a really powerful question, whether you're overwhelmed, whether you want to do something and you don't know how. There's a million different applications. But that first question, what would it look like if this was easy? What would have to happen? What would have to be in place for this to feel easy? The second question is, and these are not related and they're not in any particular order. What perspective would I need to have in order to blank? And I'll tell you, you get to fill in the blank with whatever it is that you need, but how I use this most often was in order to not be overwhelmed. What perspective would I need to have in order to not be overwhelmed. This came up on a day where I was trying to plan out 
getting ahead on the podcast before this baby is born, just like I did with Dagny. Easier said than done. Not only do I have to keep up, but I've got to get ahead. Uh, And then with doing Saturday shows with Chris, the getting ahead part isn't quite as simple because we've got to coordinate, all those things. So I was trying to think about that as well as finishing book two before baby and everything else that goes on day to day from a work standpoint and still trying to make lots of space for my rest, taking care of myself in this pregnancy, dealing with grief. And I started to feel like, oh, this is, this is not possible. There's just too much on my plate. So I said, what perspective would I need to have in order to not be overwhelmed? Now you could say, what perspective would I need to have in order to not worry about this? In order to feel more in control? What perspective would I need to have in order to not doubt the outcome or doubt myself? What perspective would I need to have in order to not be offended, right? So you get to fill in the blank with whatever you need. But when I ask myself this question, what perspective would I need to have in order to not be overwhelmed? Well, I could put the book on hold, right? Nobody said the book had to be done before the baby. The book can come out in a year. The book can come out in five years. The book can never come out. That's, that's optional. With the podcast, I don't have to get ahead, right? That's something I put on myself. I can replay episodes from 2014. It's not like I only have 100 episodes to choose from. I've got over 900 episodes. I could do best ofs. I could have guests show up. You know, I could, I could call out 15 of my colleagues and ask them to do a special guest appearance on the show and bang that out. That's, that's totally an option. Or the podcast could go on hiatus. Now, it's not. I'm confident now in my ability to get ahead. But in that moment, considering the options made me realize I don't have to do any of this. This is all, this is all optional. There are other ways to approach this if I feel like it's too much, right? I shortened my workouts. Instead of driving, it's only 10 minutes, but still driving 10 minutes to a CrossFit gym, warming up with the class, taking an hour class, you know, doing whatever afterwards and driving home and having it be like a two hour block of my day, I work out at home in less than 30 minutes. (laughs) It just, it works for me right now. And it's one of those things that helps me feel less overwhelmed. What perspective would I need to have in order to blank, in order to not be offended, in order to not be worried, in order to feel more control, in order to feel more confidence? I love this question. The next one, what's the best that could happen? What's the best that could happen? Lots of worriers out there. And while I've never described myself as a worrier, I definitely have uh, what if moments and, and more so in this pregnancy. What if something happens? What if something happens to me? What if something happens to the baby? What if I can't get pregnant again? You know, all of those different things. And that's when I use this question, what's the best that could happen? This pregnancy could continue very healthily and this baby could be born really healthy and stay really healthy and live a very long life. When I have financial worries, oh gosh, what about this and what about this and I want to be able to pay cash for this, but is it a good idea? Should we do it? Should we not? What's the best that could happen? We have a legal thing going on right now and when I find myself going, well, what if it turns out like this? What if it turns out like that? What's the best that could happen? 
I'm putting my attention there is really helpful. Even if I'm going to have a conversation with somebody that I'm a little worried about, how they're going to take it, what I'm going to say, how I should bring it up, what's the best that could happen? And I love going into it with that positivity, with giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. The next question, super practical, super practical. And it's something that I ask myself at least five times a day. What improvement am I willing to make? So this morning I was editing book two and I was super distracted. I'm usually pretty good about not checking my phone, not checking email or Facebook or getting up and doing random things. I should wash the dishes when I'm editing. I'm usually pretty disciplined about it. But this morning, I was all over the place. And so I asked myself, what's an improvement that I'm willing to make? And in that moment, I was like, I'm going to put my computer on airplane mode. I'm going to turn over my phone And I'm going to give this a solid 11 minutes. I don't know why that was the random number I picked, but it was, of just intense focus, commitment to do my best work for 11 minutes. Or when I'm uh, on my Peloton bike, which everybody who, who loves Peloton, I'm so glad you love it. I don't hate it, but I definitely don't love it. I absolutely prefer CrossFit, but I do like the versatility and I do like having it at home. So if I'm doing a Peloton workout and I'm just like not feeling it and whatever, you know, uh, range he's saying for cadence just feels like out of reach for where I'm at in that moment. Well, what's an improvement I'm willing to make? You know, maybe I can't in this moment or I don't want to in this moment get up to 120 in terms of cadence, but maybe I can go from 105 to 110 or 105 to 108. What's an improvement that I'm willing to make? Or the other night I had a late webinar, so Chris was going to pick up dinner on the way home and I really wanted sweet potato fries. And I asked myself, what's an improvement that I can make? And I had him get me meatballs and a salad instead. That was an improvement I was willing to make. Is it perfect? No. Was it an improvement? Yes. And that's what it's all about. I think about the same thing have you ever had a moment with your with your partner, with your loved one, significant other, spouse, whatever, where you're just like not feeling them for no reason at all and you're hand raised and you're just kind of grumpy? I'll literally ask myself, like, what's an improvement I can make? And maybe instead of, you know, I'm not in the moment going to be affectionate or lovey or whatever, but I can just not say anything that's not nice. I can just not say anything with an attitude. And maybe on other days... I'm willing to go over to the couch and cuddle with him or I'm willing to express appreciation or something like that. But what's an improvement I'm willing to make? I use this with food. I use this with movement. I use this with work. I use it with absolutely everything, even cleaning a room, right? It feels daunting. There's boxes everywhere. Okay, well, what what improvement am I willing to make? Maybe I'm willing to just take the trash out of that room. Maybe I'm willing to unpack one box. The next question, is there a better version of this story I could tell? This comes from one of my friends. Um, I don't even remember the context in which she shared it with me, but I love it. I use it. Is there a better version of this story I could tell? So I think I shared with you guys in a previous episode how I had this very contentious phone call with the um, storage unit owner, who I thought was like a big jerk. And <laughs> Even after I, you know, took my moment and I read the chapter on becoming a solution person, um, 
when Chris came home from work that night, we were talking about it again. And my version of the story that I had in that moment was, I can't believe how rude this guy was. I can't believe that he hung up on me two times. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. Is there a better version of this story? Yeah, storage unit's gone. The end. <laughs> like, it's over. It's done. We had our moment, but there's absolutely a better version of this story I could tell. Or even, I've talked a lot about how hard it has been not only losing Dagny, which is like impossible, but going through that during a global pandemic and quarantine where the support that I have been conditioned to expect from my family that I've seen my family give other people, I didn't feel like I had. And so many times I've thought about things that were said that were hurtful or things that were done or not done that were hurtful. And this question is so helpful. Is there a better story that I could tell? And the answer is yes. Like I can tell a story about how great Chris was the week that Dagny died. I can tell the story of his childhood friends from the Cape who drove to New Hampshire during the pandemic and every one of them showed up for us, right? I can tell the story of how grateful I am to be pregnant again. There's always a better version of the story that I can tell. And I use this one the most when it comes to other people. When maybe the first version or the story that I'm kind of leaning towards telling is about them being a jerk or them being insensitive or whatever it is, is there a better version of this story that I could tell? This next one's kind of related. I use this a ton in my relationships with other people. What's the difference between what actually happened and how I feel about what happened? Or said another way, What's the difference between what actually happened and how I'm interpreting what happened? Because maybe you send a text message, this happened to me the other day. So there's, there's somebody uh, in my life who, um, when Dagny died, they checked up on me very regularly. And then shortly after, uh, they kind of fell off the planet. And I texted this person and like weeks went by and they didn't text back until they finally did, and it was like, you know, no acknowledgement that they fell off the face of the earth or whatever. What actually happened is that they texted, right? What actually happened is that they texted a lot, and then they texted again with a gap in between. There's a difference between what actually happened and how I feel about what happened. How I feel is they ditched me. How I feel is... Uh, you know, they, they wanted to be like super present initially and then they got distracted and it didn't matter. Uh, that's how I'm interpreting what happened is that they didn't care. But when I differentiate between that and what actually happened, they texted and then they texted again after an interval, right? It helps me strip away the drama so much. I use this a lot in my marriage. I use this a lot with my family and in friendships, what's the difference between what actually happened and how I feel about what happened? Or what's the difference between what actually happened and how I'm interpreting what happened? There's another one here that is so huge for relationships, whether it's relationships with people you know well or relationships with people that you don't know at all. In this situation, what is the difference between being right and getting it right. In this situation, what's the difference between being right and getting it right? Going back to the stupid phone calls with a storage unit owner, 
being right is he was disrespectful. I'm a customer. He wouldn't let me ask a question. He hung up on me twice, right? That's, that's being right, making him wrong. Getting it right is the thing's gone, right? Or what do we need to do to get the thing out of here? And I use this all of the time in conflict, whether it's conflict with Xfinity over their changed regulations or it's conflict with Chris over something that needs to be done in the house. Or this morning after Chris left for work, I go into the kitchen and I'm like, is there a leak behind one of our beams? And I get up on the counter and I'm looking and I'm like, holy moly, there is. Being right is all about making the other guy wrong. Are you kidding me? This is brand new construction, another issue, or like blah, blah, blah. Getting it right is, what do we need to do to fix this? <laughs> like Step one, who cares if it's right, if it's wrong, if it's ridiculous, if it's understandable, who cares? What do we need to do to fix it? In this situation, what is the difference between being right and getting it right? I would say I use this most in my marriage. This next question is actually two questions that go together. Where do I need to be more patient? And where do I need to push a little harder? Where do I need to be more patient? And where do I need to push a little harder? So when I think about this for myself, I need to push a little bit harder in my focus with my editing. I kind of have the bar a little low right now, especially low given the goal that I have of finishing before this baby. If I'm being honest, I need to push a little harder there. Where do I need to be a little more patient? With my body. You know, I have talked about this a number of times. I didn't lose the baby weight after Dagny was born for very valid reasons. But again, that's just ego trying to justify. Not necessary. And then I got pregnant again and I'm gaining weight in this pregnancy. I need to be a little more patient there. Where do I need to be more patient where do I need to push a little harder? I love this one. We don't ask it globally, but we ask it very specifically. So in my marriage, where do I need to be a little more patient? Where do I need to push a little harder? In my fitness, where do I need to be more patient? Where do I need to push a little harder? In my work, where do I need to be a little more patient? Where do I need to push a little harder? In my nutrition, where do I need to be more patient? Where do I need to push a little harder? This next one could go really well with that. How will I bridge the gap between what I know and what I'm consistently doing? And I use this often as a journaling prompt. How will I bridge the gap between what I know and what I'm actually doing? One of the big ones for me right now is drinking water and putting my feet up. I know I need to do those things more. And... Like I, I literally stood in the kitchen before I came out to my office to record this and was like, should I bring out my water or should I not? No, it's fine because then I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. No, I, no, I need to, <laughs> even if I have to stop this podcast, go inside, go to the bathroom, come back out, I need to drink more water. So that is something for me that's easy to say, today I'm going to bridge the gap by drinking more water, keeping my water with me all the time. Not being like, mm, not going to bring any water with me when I have to go to this appointment later because I may have to go to the bathroom. Look, go to the bathroom. You need to drink more water. Same thing with putting my feet up. And again, I think this is very helpful when you ask it specific to an area versus generally. In my work, how will I bridge the gap between what I know to do and what I'm doing? In my care of my home, 
in my self-care, in my food choices, in my workout choices, in my marriage? How will I bridge the gap between what I know and what I'm consistently doing? And then the last one, what is the difference between a true solution and a distraction? Oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so tired. Open up the pantry and eat the chocolate. What's the difference between a distraction and a true solution? I'm so stressed. I'm so tired. What's a true solution there? Because I'm pretty sure that the chocolate is just a distraction. Same thing in marriage. There's something tense and maybe you just like, just drop it, just drop it, just drop it. Or we should go for a walk or let's have a date night. Well, what's the difference between a distraction and a true solution? What would the true solution look like here? With your finances, there's something that you know you need to take care of, but you just deal with other things. What is the difference between a true solution and a distraction? Maybe you have some pain in your elbow, and so, you know, you're going to work legs instead. Is that a true solution, though? I mean, maybe it is, right? Maybe your elbow just needs rest. Maybe you need to call the freaking doctor. Maybe it's time you get that checked out. Maybe the surgery that you've been putting off, you need to just go ahead and do that thing. What is the difference between a true solution and a distraction? So let me read through these all together for you before we wrap up. The more you use these, the more helpful they'll be. What would it take for this to be easy? What perspective would I need in order to blank? Not be overwhelmed, feel more in control, no longer worry about this. What's the best that could happen? What's an improvement I'm willing to make? Is there a better version of this story I could tell? What's the difference between what actually happened and how I feel about what happened or how I'm interpreting what happened? In this situation, what is the difference between being right and getting it right? Where do I need to be more patient and where do I need to push a little harder? How will I bridge the gap between knowing and doing? And lastly, what is the difference between a true solution and a distraction? I'd love for you to let me know which of these resonates with you the most, and we will chat again very soon. Make it a great day. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.